2: You are listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlist. Take it away, boys.
3: Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode forty-six for November twenty-six, two thousand eight. I'm Mark Spagnolo, and I'm Matt Vanderlist. And as always, right at the beginning, we want to remind
1: you. So this way, write it down right now, folks, because you're going to listen to something and you're going to go, "Oh, I've so got to tell those guys they're wrong." which never ever happens, but you should write it down anyways. If you have comments, questions, suggestions, you just want to say hi, you can send us an email at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and you can leave us a voicemail message. I know it's unheard of, but you can do it at 623-242-2450. And, of course, we'll have all that information in the show notes, and we'll remind you at the end of the episode. Oh, wow. So, hey, we're heading into Thanksgiving here in the United States. Canada apparently decided to have theirs, what, a couple weeks ago. And uh, who knows? I, I don't have an international calendar,
3: so I don't know what else is going on throughout the world. But somewhere else there has to be a holiday. Yeah, you would <sighs> think, gonna... right? I don't I don't have my finger on the pulse of the international holidays. But, um, uh, well, Thanksgiving seems to be pretty U.S.-centric. huh? I mean, no, no one has any comparable uh, things at this time.
1: Right, yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't even know if the Canadian Thanksgiving is turkey and pilgrims. That just might be like, we want one, but we want it before the United States, so let's just do it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I know about Canadians is you don't want to sit next to them at the football game uh, this past Sunday. Oh, did we have a little incident,
1: or they were just like, you know, partaking in like, the typical beer that they usually drink. <laughs> they were a
3: wow. They were partaking in the beer. Um, it, we we. It was a good you know good game. But the problem was these guys just wanted to talk. I mean about the economy. They wanted to know what the average salary was of you know a typical person living in Phoenix and uh, how the real estate market was going and I mean it was one thing after another and it made it very difficult to watch the football game because all that crap was you know chattering in my ear so clearly right. it had nothing to do with them being Canadian they were just annoying but um, it was pretty pretty comical. Um, I think everybody – it was a bunch of Giants fans surrounding these two people, so they were a little bit out of, out of place because <laughs> they didn't care about either team. They actually just wanted to, for some reason, see the Giants lose. So uh, whatever. Well, you
1: know, maybe that's a, like a, an early indicator of a possible Canadian invasion. If they're that far south of the Canadian border, they're like – well, we're this close. We're going to work with the Mexicans to see what we can do with this country. You take this <laughs> half, we'll take that one, and we'll just you know redistribute
3: it completely between all of us. <laughs> that, that that could very well be the plan. Um, but you know what? Other than that, woodworking wise, it's been um, a little bit stagnant. I'm I'm kind of tapering off as the uh, Christmas projects are finished, and we're heading into the holidays. Uh, really, just writing some articles and preparing for the Atlanta trip next week uh, at the woodcraft in Atlanta, so that should be a blast but other than that i haven 't even been in the shop, so i, I don 't have many stories to uh to tell but you sir you you have many a story to tell, which we 'll get into later but uh right but, definitely yeah what 's yeah, been going
1: it was, on well, I just got back last week. Uh, from uh, Berea, Kentucky. There was a little event going on. Only a handful of people knew about it, so I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if everybody's like, what are you talking about? And it's a little little thing called Woodworking in America. And I'm just going to say this right up front. You guys have been traveling quite a bit. How the hell do you... Nicole, I don't know how you can do this. I traveled for like one day, and it's taken (laughs) me a week and a half to recover from it.
2: (laughs) It's it's taken me 10 years to uh, get used to it. Oh, man. I'm not getting used to it, to be honest with you.
1: Well, I can imagine retirement is just going to be a bear because you're just going to probably like sleep
3: right through it. The rest of your life is going to slam right into you. <laughs> I do have
0: to have a recovery
2: day
3: after I come back. Yeah, it takes her. It takes her a good twenty-four to thirty-six hours to recover from a trip. So uh, it's, wow. it's it's a whole process that we have to go through. But it, you know, the older we get, the the harder it is, and not just you know her. It's it's harder for me because I have to be here home alone, you know, and oh, yeah. and cook for myself and.
2: Don't cook for
3: yourself. I have to put the pizza in the the oven myself. That's that takes time. You know, <laughs> sometimes you have to dial
1: the number to get the pizza. To get,
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have to dial. You know what? We can't even get delivery out here except for Domino's, and that's like garbage in a box. So we don't order that. Yeah. But well, anyway, well, not to completely derail us here, but uh, so right. woodworking what, what in America, we'll get into the details of that uh, later. What what else are you working on? Well, just recently, of
1: course. It- uh, I think the last time we talked about like possible Christmas gift ideas, and I threw a couple of them out there. Yeah, they're still hanging out there right now. I really haven't gotten <laughs> to anything, to be honest with you. Uh, I actually had I had a chance to finish up a project that I was supposed to do for one of my secretaries. Her daughter wanted a, a bookcase, and so I'm like, well, yeah, I'll throw something together for you. And so I, I've been working on that in between uh, a few things. But the, the neat thing that we just had in, in the shop, and we're going to be showing this next week, is uh, I got a hold of a company called Roar Rocket, and they were featured in in uh, November's issue of Popular Woodworking. I think we mentioned this last week. Hmm. Uh, I had a chance to build a, a, a skateboard. Really? Laminate the whole thing up. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I brought the kids in, and uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting. In fact, the problem now is <laughs> I've got the kit, and I'm like, oh, the wheels will be so inexpensive. Don't worry about it. Do you know how much it costs for, like, they call them trucks and wheels? I mean, um, they're insane. Yeah, they can be pretty pricey if you get a good set. Yeah, and so that's, I've been looking for a crappy set, <laughs> I still can, just,
3: just, just a nice cheap one.
1: Can. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm at the point now that for like, uh, I, I always think about just going to the store and like picking up like you know just a, a skateboard, a pre-made skateboard, and being like, we'll take these wheels off and we'll put them on this <laughs> nicer skateboard and we'll go from there. So yeah, we have that sitting in the shop. It's completely glued up and it, it's all nice and uh, it's, it's all nice and sanded, and we're just waiting to finish it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, now we've got all this beautiful snow and ice. I should have maybe made a snowboard and instead, instead. But <laughs> <laughs> right. So wait, it's already uh, it's already coming down over there. Oh yeah, we've been buried under snow for a little while. It's only been about wow. six inches, so I can't complain too much. Wow. But we're going through the the freeze and thaw right now. So during the day, it nice it warms up, and it's like, oh look, I can see sidewalk again. And then you walk out in the middle of the night, and it's like ice. So, wow.
3: Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> that that sounds fun. Um. Thank thank God I don't have to deal with that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Anywho.
3: Uh, so we've got a, a around the web feature here. We've got, um, well, this is one you put on here but I blogged about this earlier in the week uh, too. Somebody right. sent me the link to it and I shared it. I can't remember who it was but I gave credit on the blog. The SawStop demo uh, where, uh, can you remember the guy's name? What is the inventor's name? Uh, I don't remember
1: offhand but, me, me um, yeah, he, he was definitely, uh, it, I watched the original airing on the Discovery Channel it's on a show called Time Warp. Okay. And, uh I, I actually I, I i put this on our DVR because my son had to go to bed. I'm like, oh, you got to check this out. It, the best part about this was when the people, the host of the show, said, "Hey, do you really trust your 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 machine?" And he goes, "Well, yeah. Why don't you put your finger in it?" <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Uh,
3: okay." Well, yeah, that was that was actual words. That was, uh, yeah, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I was pretty I was pretty excited by it because for the longest time, I've They've been doing the uh, the hot dog demo, where you see like you know a steak or something like that. But that it, that was impressive at first. But you know it's a couple years later. We gotta up the ante. Let's get a a live attached limb on there. Uh, you know something right. that we can really uh, relate to here. Uh, but I was really really impressed that they actually tried it. A little, I mean, I guess you, you can't blame the guy for being as cautious as he was because for anybody who doesn't know, we didn't really explain this, the, the, the saw stop is a, uh, a, a table saw that has a uh, quick stop emergency mechanism in it that senses when it touches your flesh and uh, pulls the, uh, it actually drops the blade down into the housing and stops the blade by jamming, what is it, a piece of aluminum or something? Uh, yeah, yeah. And,
1: An aluminum steel kind of is what it looks like.
3: Yeah. yeah, and it it literally just jams it into the blade. So you kill the blade, you kill the 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 break or the, whatever they refer to the safety mechanism. You'll have to replace all that. But the idea is you've saved your finger. So the demo for this over the years has been a hot dog because it is you know the closest you could, I guess the closest they can get to something that is uh, is going to have the same properties but also maybe even look like a finger. Um yep. but normally they the 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 cut is significant. I mean, I wouldn't def, I I would not look forward to a cut even from the you know when the brake goes off. Uh it does still at least cut a reasonable amount of flesh. So what they did in this one was he he sort of um balanced his hand on the uh the saw itself and slowly brought his finger into the blade. And for what I understand, it didn't really even cut him. It just kind of sensed that it was close enough the whatever it is, the elect- electricity uh, sensitive, whatever. I don't even know what yeah, the, the heck the crap is. I, I haven't really yeah. looked into it. But uh, it sensed that his finger was close enough and it jammed the blade uh, down into the uh, brakes. So pretty cool stuff, right. but it's kind of like the guy really putting his money where his mouth is.
1: Yeah, like I said, there was, there was a lot of hesitation when when the host mentioned it. So it was almost like one of that. it's your show, why don't you do it? It was kind of the look that I think the guy shot him. But. Yeah, yeah,
3: well, you know what? If you believe in it and that's what it's meant to do, it, it sure as heck better work, you know, so...
1: Okay. Yeah, I was really
3: impressed. When they showed the the actual, not so much
1: the finger. I mean, that was impressive. But when you watch that shoe pop off and just destroy the living daylights out of that blade, yeah, you know that's that, that's pretty neat. But as we know, there was a little controversy early on with the show and the sauce stop. So if you ever <laughs> want to revisit that, go way back and you can enjoy it. Let's not bring this up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: and and you know what? You can't you can't even start the conversation without that happening. I I, I put it up on the website and immediately uh became within a day or two was one of the most commented posts we've ever had uh people going back and forth and um you know talking about the virtues of it and whether it, it is a good buy is it good that only one company makes it and the whole story behind it so uh, interesting reading there we'll put the link in the show notes so you guys can check all that stuff out and uh maybe even the link back to uh, to when you and I were kind of poo-pooing it um a while back
1: (laughs) oh one of my funnest uh, shows ever i remember
3: that one fondly (laughs) (laughs) it was it was a good one the backlash the backlash was fun too um, yes. <laughs> moving into the news, we do have some news this week, and it all comes from Lee Valley. And That's right. Again, yeah, mean, uh, back to those Canadians. See, the yeah. Canadians are stirring up problems again. Yeah, stirring it up, and, and yeah, that's another one that got a lot of comments this week and controversy. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the block planes real quick. I'll let you cover the dovetail saw because I honestly haven't really even looked at that. Um, But they came out with a a new series of planes, and and I believe they're going to be sort of revamping the whole line, and this is just the first one in the series. They came out with a new block plane. Um, They also reworked the old standard offering, uh, the one that has, like, it's got paint on it and everything. It, It still looks good, and it's the same principle, the same basic unit. It just isn't as... You know, slick as as the really expensive one, uh, but yeah, this one looks like it's got a big V on the front. I thought it stood for Versace uh, when I saw it the first time, but uh, as
1: elegant as it looks, maybe it could be, but I wouldn't <laughs> want to be wearing these on my feet.
3: Yeah, so um, really impressive looking stuff. You, different opinions on on how it looks, but it's clearly uh, the effort was made to make this thing look awesome, just to give you that kind of eye candy. Um, it really, to me, looked like an old bullet train, you know, sort of conceptual design of what futuristic trains were going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, has that kind of just silver with the lines in it and everything. But it, it's kind of cool. But clearly, clearly, what is this? This is, you know, a shot at the really, really high-end market and the people who are more or less collector slash user, possibly even just collectors of of fine hand tools.
1: Right, absolutely. Yeah, if I had Yeah, to i, I the high-end one, I just I, – I don't know how many people will actually be using this. I don't see any real professionals going, hmm, let me grab this one and this will be the ultimate block plane I'll ever use in my
3: life. <laughs> right, right. I mean it's good. It's got to be amazing but – in terms of a you know like you said a professional woodworker also needs to make smart business decisions and and there is a, a diminishing gain from that that you know i don't know how much you're going to benefit from the old design versus this new design uh, are you really going to gain enough to justify the increased cost i would say probably not but i don't think that's the market they're going after anyway so right well you know
1: when i was at the at woodworking in america robin lee had the uh, uh, the block plane there and see, I thought I got this like you know massive scoop, and then I found out from the guys over at Woodnet that like no, the, the night before he was at the Woodnet forum that was here, and he showed it to everybody. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! I'm the last <laughs> one to know about this thing, and uh, I'm, I'm totally with uh, Carrie Holtman over at the Village Carpenter. She she totally was, was just dead on. I was thinking the same exact thing that she was. It looks something like out of Flash Gordon, you know? Yeah. It just got that. that <laughs> to it. to But the, yeah. the one thing I thought was really funny was uh, the the particular one, the, the most expensive one, the, the one we're kind of talking about, the big V and everything. Um, Uh, Robin was saying something about, the rumor is, he left it out on his back porch, like on his picnic table, exposed to the elements for a whole week, Mm -hmm. and not one speck of rust was on this thing because of its nickel alloy body. Right. So, you have an outdoor shop. (laughs) <laughs> you're exposed to the elements, this is the the plane for you. <laughs>
3: Dude, if you're going to spend nearly 300 bucks on a block plane and leave it outside, somebody needs to kick you in the butt. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Come on. Or throw it at you. <laughs> yeah, one, one or the other. So now what is this about the I, – I did see some of the rumors and the tweets going around. What's the deal with this dovetail saw? Well, the, the thing with the dovetail saw is the fact that um, really when it comes down to
1: it, this is a $65 dovetail saw. In comparison to like a uh, a Wensloff or a Gramercy or even a Lee Nielsen, which are coming in probably about one hundred and twenty, depending on what wood you're going to get in the handle, uh, hmm. the, the Lee Valley's dovetail saw comes with a, a Bubanga handle. If the handle is that important to you, they actually said you could take it off, replace it with whatever one you want to adjust this one or whatever. But the, the what really is unique about it is the uh, uh, the the back of the blade itself. Is it's unlike the other ones. It's not brass. It's nothing like a shiny metal. It's actually a um, it's a plastic and it has like stainless steel impregnated with it. it. Has like this real odd mixture that they've put in there. No kidding. But yeah, it's it's really and the, the neat thing about it is that it, like I said, it's it's sixty five dollars. I had a chance to play with it at the Woodworking America conference, and to be honest with you, um, even though the one that was I was using had been picked up, had been you could see the saw marks all over the place on the bench where they had like samples out there. Yeah, uh, I, I think I must have been like the hundredth, maybe one hundred fiftieth person to actually use it, mm-hmm. and it worked. I, I will honestly say it worked just as well as my my Lee Nielsen dovetail saw. Okay, and at sixty five bucks, I could buy two of these, uh, you know, rather than the one from uh, uh, Lee Nielsen. In fact, I was mentioning to somebody, you know, I, I could get the Lee Valley one as my everyday one, and then I'll take the uh, Lee Nielsen one, and I'll break that out
3: for special occasions like Thanksgiving when I need
1: to carve the turkey. There you
3: go. You know, that that's funny because I was thinking about that last night. We had a little rotisserie chicken and I could not, I have the hardest time disconnecting the joint from the leg and every time mm-hmm. I'm like tugging on this thing, it's about to go flying across the room and I'm like, you know what? I should just bring in one of my saws. you, know, I could, there you go. I could cut through that stuff like it's nothing. Anyway, um, <laughs> looking, I'm looking at it now for the first time. I, I can't believe I, I haven't looked at it sooner but interesting. I mean, that yep. uh, that plastic uh, ridge on the back at at first glance is almost off-putting but it is one, one thing that one thing that i've you know sort of realized in and reevaluating uh, the value of certain plastics and whether or not that is a sign of of poor quality is look at uh, a company like festool and they mm-hmm. incorporate a lot of plastic into their parts and clearly they're you know doing okay in the quality category so Uh, you know, a really good high quality plastic is is not necessarily something that indicates poor quality. You know, it might actually be good because you can manufacture the part cheaper, uh, potentially, and it's still going to be durable. Um, it's just can you get over the look?
1: Right, right. And you know, and that's what they were saying like this this plastic. I, I I don't know exactly what the mixture is in it, but it's got like this it has like a little bit of stainless steel mixed in there and and a, col- a couple other things to really give it its rigidity. Wow. And one of the big questions with with a dovetail saw is a lot of people are like, well, yeah, but how heavy is it? Because mm-hmm. you kind of want a little bit of of weight behind there when you're making the cut. It just kind of helps to make it go a little bit smoother. Yeah. And in all honesty, I did, I wasn't holding, you know, another one of brass backed one or anything in my hand, but I'm familiar with the one I do have. And I would say they're actually they, – they, they've got to be pretty much almost equal when it comes down to it. Huh. No kidding. So, and, yeah, and it, it's really – and that, that 65 bucks. this is one of those things that if you're really, really hesitant, this is probably something really that might be up your alley to give it a shot. And yeah. then if you do want to move on to more of a traditional one, I'm sure something with the brass has to be – you know other than just tradition, there has to be something else in there. I can't think of it offhand but you know for a good starter dovetail saw this might be a, you know something really to take a look at
3: oh, 65 bucks man you can't beat that that's pretty darn cool
1: right yeah and it was and you know it's it's definitely it looks really nice the shape of it and everything else is almost identical in fact i think uh chris Schwartz had just had something i think in one of the one of his blogs that was was talking about it and he seemed to think it was pretty decent too uh, i'm sure if we asked mike wensloff and wensloff and sons it's probably a piece of crap but you know that's beside the point <laughs> well let's not ask him <laughs>
3: Okay, exactly. Uh, <laughs> moving on to the uh, what do we have here? Well, we've got some serious hot deals and yes we you know Black Friday's coming up and it seems like today alone, I got three or four emails uh, from newsletters you know the, that the companies send out when they have special deals and stuff. And uh, lots of stuff here. so let's uh, let's start plowing through it. first of all, we have a deal here from Peachtree and I know I keep every show it seems like we've got something from them. They have a Black Friday sales event November 25th, that's today and it ends on the 28th. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's various different things that are um, for sale there and uh, really good prices of course from Peachtree so I will put the link in the show notes so you guys can uh, can check that out. Um, do you want you want to tackle the next one? Yeah, I was going to say, let's pop right into this one. It looks like uh, the
1: great folks over at Popular Woodworking, their their bookstore, I'm assuming this is what it is, they've got a, a great coupon. It's 40% off an entire order. Just punch in uh, the word thanks, T-H-A-N-K-S, and that is until November 28th. So again, you have till Friday to take 40% off your next order. And they've, they've got some pretty decent
3: books, so Dude, definitely check it out. Yeah, that's 40%.
1: Yeah, that's just 10% shy of 50%. That's right. So... And so it's, so for the like, most that are math challenged, do yeah. fifty and a little bit more than that.
3: It's four times as much as ten percent.
1: That's right. Yes, and it's uh, what's ten percent less than half.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we could be here all day with this. Um, yeah, I mean, still forty percent off. Uh, that just makes me want to go there and, and do a little shopping because that's pretty darn cool. Um, right,
1: and for those of you that are woodworking in America, if you were there and you didn't pick up your copy of Joseph Moxon, apparently I was the only person because it was one copy that was left there. It must have been mine. I didn't pick it up. They're probably mad at me. Um, you could pick it up probably for 40% off maybe. I don't know. You have to double check.
3: Oh, okie dokie. Well, you know what? Hey, I got a uh, a special hot off the presses straight into my inbox from uh, from Tim over at Eagle America. and I They're running a, a promotion right now, but uh, I talked to him a little bit, and he wanted to do something special for Wood Talk Online listeners. So I am going to sift through this email to make sure I get it right. Uh, he says, let's give the Wood Talk Online folks an even better deal. Our current offer uh, that they sent out today was free shipping on any size order through December 1st. And he says for Wood Talk Online listeners only, they're going to extend that 10 days through the 11th. Uh, Let's see. If they order by that date, then they are sure. Oh, okay. So if they order by the 11th, they're uh, definitely going to get the package before Christmas. So that's kind of the the time frame they're trying to uh, lock down for us. If you wow. um the only stipulation here you got to use the coupon code WD talk E what the heck were they thinking okay i got it <laughs> WD <laughs> WD talk EP46 which is uh W Wood Talk episode 46 i guess is where they're going with that but worry not it'll be in the show notes we also have a link that'll give you the details for how you can get the discounts and that'll be in the show notes as well so thanks to uh Eagle America for throwing a hot one on our plates
1: Wow, that's awesome. You know, another one coming up here and obviously we're going to be getting a lot of these trying to get you in before, you know, the holidays to make sure that everybody's going to get their stuff up there. Mm-hmm. But I see we have another one on here. It's the MiniMax Holiday Sales event, which is going to start December 1st, so not Friday. It's going to be on Monday, December 1st. Uh, and they're going to have a little bonus out there which is order and have shipped any MiniMax machine uh, on Wednesday, November twenty sixth, and you'll get an extra five percent off their already low holiday sale prices. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, oh,
3: that's nice. That's you know, uh, yeah. Mini Max is good stuff. Have you ever used one of their uh, or had contact with one of their bandsaws?
1: Uh, I've I've definitely looked at it, and I have had to pull myself away a few times. So, yeah, they're hot. Yeah, but I haven't. Yeah, they look good.
3: H A W T hot. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got another Dance one here. <laughs> <laughs> another one here from. Uh, uh, let's see. The, the Woodcraft uh, offering free ground shipping on any online orders placed within the forty contiguous forty-eight states. Uh, excess weight charges are excluded from this offer. So I guess now, can you get that right on their homepage?
1: Uh, yeah, that's one of the little banner things that'll pop at the top. Now, when they're talking excess weight charges, are they talking about the individual ordering? Or uh, the item that's yeah, good.
3: if you, well, if you're packing it on for the holidays and you're eating too much, you probably don't want to shop there. You just won't get that free shipping. It's terrible. That's what I'm thinking. I, that's I, really unfair. Really? It is.
1: It's, it's, it's totally playing with gravity-challenged individuals.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we'll, well, hit the uh, the last one we got there.
1: Okay, our last one, of course, staying with that whole idea of trying to get you to buy great stuff before the holidays. Highland Woodworking is saying order now and get free ground shipping within the 48 contiguous. Did I say that right? I always say continuous. I said it differently than you did, so one of us is probably right. Okay, well, anywhere with those 48 states that are touching each other, if you order there, and it's most orders over $100, you'll get free ground shipping. So definitely head on over there and take advantage of that. And tell Blair
3: and everybody over at Highland Woodworking we said hi. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if if you're shopping somewhere and you're not getting free shipping and you're not getting some kind of discount, raise a stink. Be like, look, I want to buy from you guys. I could go over to, you know, Eagle America or Highland and I can get it for this much. You should definitely be getting some kind of discount this time of year. Or so uh Absolutely. you know, our new motto I think should be never pay full price. That's right, there we go. <laughs> and never pay at all if if at all possible.
1: And then suddenly they'll be like, going, never listen to Wood Talk online again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that could backfire on us. All right, so this is what I'm excited about. You and I have actually not really uh, touched base on the Woodworking in America conference and what you saw how it went who you met and uh, who you met that you didn't like
1: right yes there was a lot of those no I'm just kidding <laughs> I think it was actually the other way around there's a lot of people that me, met me and suddenly decided no, well Mark's okay we'll listen to
3: that part of that oh. they said oh he's, he's as annoying as
1: he is on his show <laughs> That's, yeah, I did get a lot of that. I found your laughter from across the
3: woodworking in America conference. <laughs> well, slow in, in the in the distance they heard. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, it's Matt." <laughs> yeah, that was exactly how it was. We just kept zeroing
1: in on it. We couldn't miss it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, tell tell me all about it, man. I want to hear. Uh,
1: I want I want to hear it all. Okay. Well. In the beginning, I uh, arrived in Berea. No, actually, uh, I got got to Kentucky, and the the first night of registration was just, it was was a blast. It was, you know, it's just registration. You show up, you get your little badge, you kind of walk around. My favorite part was, and I I was part of this group, was that starstruck person that's like, I'm walking into a wall because, oh my God, I just saw Roy Underhill. I've never (laughs) seen that. And he does walk around with an axe in his hand. That's what was the most interesting part about it. An axe in one hand and a tool chest in the other, right? I think he set the tool chest down, but he had the axe and he just had a big old grin on his face and that he was (laughs) Roy Underhill played a huge part in the whole entire thing. I mean, every single person I've talked to since being back from woodworking in America, I haven't gotten a story that didn't include Roy Underhill in it. He was just absolute blast but uh yeah got there and that first night had a chance that I met with like Mac McKinney uh ran into Craig Stevens from uh the uh Woodworkers Resource mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other people in fact at one point there was just a whole bunch of us standing in a circle just going like so how you doing you know, good? <laughs> having fun all right so uh the, the first night of course just kind of get together went over and had a couple drinks and then everybody's like all right, well, right we'll see you first thing in the morning so start the conference the next day and the the neat thing I, I will have to admit my only complaint about woodworking in America is has to be that um, uh, the classes seem to be not long enough. <laughs> okay. There's just some subjects that you just absolutely wanted to get so much more out of. Sure. And I know I've heard from a lot of people that they're like, you know, oh, the, the clinicals, I don't – I won't say that they were disappointed because I I haven't met anybody that was like really honestly, truly disappointed to the point where they're going to, you know, just blast the living daylights out of it. Right. But when it comes to the clinics, I mean, think about it. A typical class, you're going to get a hands-on clinical. You're probably going to take a specific class with a specific subject, and you're probably in there for like, what, you know, five, six, maybe seven hours. Mm -hmm. Well, they're trying to pack the same thing into like maybe a -a two-and-a-half-hour quickie seminar to give you a feel for it. Right. So if there was a complaint, that would be the only thing. But other than that, there's nothing wrong with it.
3: (laughs) But do you think it was the way that the classes were marketed that the expectation was off? Because, I mean, we're talking about hand tools here, so we're talking about a slightly slower pace. Uh, and it's something that, the you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve. I mean, realistically, what can you truly accomplish in just a couple of hours other than a quick demo, a little bit of hands-on, and you move on to the next thing? That was exactly it. You know, they, and it really, yeah, they, they had like a,
1: a nice quick synopsis, and it really seemed to be like one of those, again, you're trying to pack like, you know, eight hours into a two-hour period, and they do a really decent job. They, I, I, I'm almost curious as to how they came up with the curriculum curriculum for each class, because, they seemed to hit just enough of the sweet stuff that you want to know about. And the, the neat thing, though, was, it was they, they made a lot of room in there for question and answer. It wasn't like one of those, okay, I'm going to stand up here with the pointer, I'll do my PowerPoint presentation, and there'll be enough time for one setup question over here in the corner that you're going to ask me, and then I'm out of here. Right. The, uh, the presenters were completely available to answer all sorts of questions. And when you have a presenter like Frank Klaus... Uh, you have like a presenter like Michael Dunbar or even a, or Roy Underhill. I mean, they were just you know answering questions left and right, and a lot of them, even though it's a, it's a stage presentation, and you're giving a lecture. You could go up there uh, not only after the class, but a lot of times they wanted people to come up during the presentation and do what I just showed you. Try it out, especially like Mike Dunbar. I took his uh, spoke shave and draw knife class mm-hmm. and in the footage that people will be able to see uh, that I'm going to be posting that was one of the big things he did he's like all right I'm going this is what I'm going to do with a draw knife and you're seeing how I do this everybody come up here as soon as you get a chance don't be shy And there's a lot of us amazingly that were shy i, I didn't get up there i didn't want to get cut so. <laughs> right <laughs> you know but that was that, that was one of the big things the, for me the whole conference started with the first class i ended up taking was one that was it was called modern tools tolerances and myths and this had John Economaki from Bridge City Tools. It had Robin Lee from Lee Valley. Thomas Lee Nielsen, uh, I think from some company called Lee Nielsen. Um, and then <laughs> Conrad Sawyer from Sawyer and Steiner Hand Planes. Uh-huh. And it was, it was one of those kind of a roundtable of builders. And basically the whole question came up to why do you build the tools you do? How do you come up with the specifications you do? And and all that stuff. And it was it was really a neat class to kind of pick their brain about, you know, like, well, why is it this way and not that way? What would you right. recommend with this? And it, it, it turned out pretty good. So that one, again, if you had more questions, just approach them afterwards, which a lot of people did. And one thing I found out from John akonamaki is uh, he's a huge environmentalist. And, you know, all those Bridge City tools, I mean, everybody knows how expensive they are. Apparently, uh, you, c- you can actually pick up the ones that, if there's a problem with the casting, he still sells those. No so kidding. You can get yeah, an imperfect or what could be considered an imperfect Bridge City tools. Uh, for, you know, a, a deep discount, basically. So, so they'll that they only don't... be like
3: a thousand bucks. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it'll have one little grain pit in the side, so you could probably live with that. Wow. Well, that, that's pretty impressive. Now, the interesting, the interesting thing that I saw, as far as, you know, a casual observer from the outside, is a lot of the activity, the presentations, uh, the information was being provided by the people who were also selling the tools. And right. at certain conferences, that can be a recipe for disaster because essentially it's a sales pitch. So I'm curious, how well did they handle? Because I mean, most of the guys who run these companies are very highly respected, not just as tool makers, but either as woodworkers or just because they're such innovative tool makers, they're very well respected in the community. So I'm curious, how did did anyone you know see any issues with that, or was it just smooth sailing the whole way and, and just good feelings about everything? You know, I was kind of curious about that too,
1: especially that first class where you had the the, the hand plane makers up there, but they really seemed to kind of keep each other in check. There was a lot of, you know, gesturing back and forth, a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge a couple of times, mm-hmm. but um, they they definitely did kind of, you know, point out that, you know, there are certain things that just can't happen no matter what you do, you know, that kind of, the the one class that, I'm so glad I ended up taking this because I was actually, um scheduled to take a different class, but Mm -hmm. having that little press pass kind of helped out, and I jumped into this one anyways, was the, I ended up taking the Understanding Western Saws, and that was taught by Mike Wenzeloff, Joel Moskowitz of Gramercy Tools, and uh, Chris Schwartz. And Joel and Mike um, both make excellent saws, but they had two very different opinions about how those saws should be made and what users should expect from it. Hmm. So th- that was one of those that it really kind of got into there. Like you know, yeah, you can make your tool this way, but you should do this instead, or you shouldn't do this, or you should do that. And there was there was an don't <laughs> describe it was there was an edginess on the stage that we were waiting for a fight to break out any minute. <laughs>
3: that is pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we ended up we ended up asking about that one later on. We're like, so was that you know planned? Or was that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> is that normal? And that's what there was a lot of this, you know, Joel is definitely one of those people that it's like he wants, you know, uh, 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 all the bells and whistles on a saw and it should be like, you know, just everything that you can think of under the sun. And Mike is definitely one of those guys that he's like, a saw should cut wood. End of story. Right. You know, that right. kind of. A, so. Wow. But other than that, yeah, they they definitely you could sell that you could tell there was some sales pitches going on because. Depending on who was doing the show or what was teaching the class, like if Frank was up there, it was amazing how you wouldn't see anything from Lee Valley, like that new Lee Valley dovetail dove, dove saw. Mm-hmm. But you would see like the brand new progressive pitch saw from uh, Lee Nielsen or <laughs> uh, the same thing with the, the hand planes and everything like that. It was – it was. oh, and one more thing. There was a bench that I will say Lee Nielsen sells benches. I'm not sure if it was one of theirs, but nobody liked it. <laughs> so oh, really? It was, yeah, there was one up on the stage that every single presenter got up there, and it's like, who the hell made this bench? This is a piece of crap. Get this out of here. No kidding.
3: <laughs> well, I know they do have benches on their site. Now, was it was it something just the placement of the the uh, vice or the the shape or the what, what was the deal?
1: Uh, yeah, it was it was. All of the above, basically. Especially it was the, the vice. The, you know, the more I think about it, I think this is one that popular woodworking had in their shop for a long time. Oh. It's even Chris Schwartz kind of complaining about it. But it's the same style as what Lee Nielsen is currently selling. It's along the lines of that. Gotcha. But yeah, it was uh, that, that, that vice got cursed out. In fact, Frank Klaus, I think, taught us several Hungarian swear words in one <laughs> class. Uh, Chris definitely let people know about that one. Uh, I think uh, Roy Underhill was
3: kind of like what the hell's this thing <laughs> that is awesome, yeah, and you're talking about the guy who you know what's what's he do? he sits on his uh shave horse <laughs> and, and that's his idea of a clamp, and he's complaining that's it's got to be pretty bad <laughs>
1: right. yeah, it was it cool was, it, was, it was it was really hideous. it was really bad but uh yeah it was it was definitely uh, um it, it was sorry. I just got distracted for a second there. So,
0: uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right, you okay there?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was reading my own notes. <laughs> <Nice>. But no, <laughs> yeah, there was, there was definitely some really interesting. The, uh, another neat thing was a lot of times in the classes, and I heard this from quite a few. There was a class that was being offered between Frank Klaus and um, uh, Roy Underhill talking about hand dovetailing. Okay, and the question came up: Which do you do first? Pins first or tails first? Right, and. This was one of those that I guess Frank Klaus got up there' like, "You do pins tail pins first and a story, and never really gave
3: Roy Underhill a chance to
1: uh, explain the other one. It, nobody argued it <laughs> so, really <laughs> that was pretty interesting.
3: that is interesting you know it's it's one of those things i, I I'm, I'm a tails first man personally, and i've never uh, I've thought about the logic and the process going the other way, and I just like the concept and it seems to make more sense to me to go. Tails first, um, but I, you know, it's like anything else. You could certainly argue your point one way or the other, and uh, what, hey, whatever, whatever makes you cut really nice dovetails, just do it, <laughs> whichever way you want. It's funny that no exactly. one, no one uh, argued with him, though. Yeah, it was funny because I, I think he actually,
1: I think Mac McKinney was in that class. and They were kind of giving me this, you know, this information kind of secondhand, but it was literally like one of those, like, okay, this is the way I do it. Are you going to attempt?
3: And that's the only way to do it. Uh, that's pretty funny. That's right. So how was one the – um,
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say one other funny thing that I, I heard is uh, we're all familiar with, with Adam uh, – I've always pronounced it Cherubini. Wow, was I wrong? It's Adam Carabini.
3: That's how and, I pronounced it too. Wow.
1: Yeah. So I, I definitely I, – that explains why when I introduced myself and said, oh my gosh, it's Adam Cherubini. He gave me that look like – Get out of my way, kid. You know, it, he he could step on me. That man is huge. He is really, really tall. Really, see, you know, I don't get that in in the magazine pictures. Oh yeah, no, no, he's definitely about um, what six six. I'd say maybe a little bit taller than that. He's he actually dwarfed um, uh, Chris Schwartz. So really, very very tall, very very funny looking in his knickers and his traditional garb because he wore that the whole time. I was weekend. Gonna, I was
3: gonna say wearing tights does make you look a little bit shorter. Right. Well, you know, I had the opportunity to
1: uh, walk down the uh, main street of Berea to uh, attend a class that he was going to be teaching with him in his, you know, knickers uh, and carrying a wicker basket with all his stuff in it. And then he had his his buckled shoes. And he's like, Do you think we should skip to
3: the class? And I'm like, Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, my God, dude. That must have been a sight. You should have gotten a picture.
1: I know. That's what I was trying to reach for my camera, but he was moving way too fast. It's those long legs. Oh, man. But the one story that came from Adam, apparently, was um, he learned a lesson about uh, uh, mics and stuff like that. Apparently, he was uh, wired up and thought he was unwired and headed to the bathroom. So the next class got to listen to Adam.
3: (laughs) Nice. Yeah, Yeah. you got to make sure you turn those things off.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah. So that was, I
3: think, after that, he was checking every two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's awesome. Well, you know what? It sounded like it was a great event. Any insight... From what you've heard or people you talk to, we're going to try and talk to to Chris Schwartz about this to get some more information, but um, did you get any insight onto whether this is something that's going to happen again?
1: You know, th- there was so many rumors flying around at the show. I, basically, from the moment I walked into that first class on Friday morning, the rumor was that they were already planning the, the next ones and that there was going to be like two or three a year. They were going to be uh, bi-coastal. I suggested to Chris what would be really neat is if we had a Woodworking in America on a cruise ship and you cruised along doing your woodworking. I mean, that would be pretty damn cool. A woodworker's
3: cruise. Wow. And I thought that the Star Trek cruises were full of a bunch of uh, goofy people.
1: Yeah. Just imagine that one watching Adam walking around on that. It's like reliving the Mayflower or something.
3: (laughs) Oh man. That actually would be hilarious. Wow. Well, that's cool. I'm I'm really hoping they do branch out and do a few more a year. I certainly would like to make the next one uh, and it would be great if it was on the West Coast. So, um, yeah. Well, we'll have to talk to Chris and find out what the what the skinny is on that.
1: Right. You know, the one thing I did hear for sure is, I mean, we all know that as soon as registration opened, they were, you know, books solid, like in, yeah. within 24 hours, they had it all taken care of. I I guess my understanding is, I, I heard a little rumor that basically Berea is like one of those. Wow. Well, thanks for coming, but don't come back because they they didn't think they kept telling. I I think it was the college was telling the uh, the, the magazine. Well, you'll never get more than 200 people. They. Mm-hmm. does hand tool stuff right right so they were completely overwhelmed and you could tell the look on the students faces were like who the hell are all these old geezers
3: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean maybe they'll just have to find a bigger venue next year and then really expand it. it is really tested the water this time so uh, i mean the possibilities for this clearly uh, there's a demand for it so right i mean definitely this is they've got something good on their hands there i think
1: yeah oh definitely and I think they need to expand out the marketplace a little bit um, it was a little cramped mm-hmm. and it was nothing was funnier than you'd get done with a class or a class would be getting out you could almost tell exactly what class it was because sometimes there'd be a mad rush for like a certain booth and they would be buying up everything it well was I mean
3: I would just think this is a gold mine for these uh these tool Companies. I mean, there, and I'm from first hand experience, there is no better time to market a tool to a woodworker than right after they get out of that class because no matter what you, what, you know, their wife or husband or whoever might say later. Right at that moment, they need that tool and cannot survive without that tool. And if you have that tool right there to buy at that moment, uh, you're going to get a sale. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Well, I know Mike Wensloff, their their little booth that they had set up, he definitely did very well for himself. He's been a little behind already because he's had a ton of orders. And I I, I think I I heard a rumor that basically he was almost at the point that he wanted to shut the booth down and get the hell out of town because the orders were coming in faster than they could handle. Wow. Poor baby. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I know. He, he
3: looked really hurt. <laughs> I imagine he was. Um, okay. Well, unless there's any other uh, critical things you wanted to tell us, we can jump into some voicemail. No, I say
1: we head there because all I have are some funny stories after visiting everybody at the um, the beer tent, basically. But we're not going to go on those. You we'll stay can- those for a.
3: Yeah, you could tell me after I, I uh, press the record button. Uh, okay, well we got two voicemails. So let's jump right into them and see. I don't even know what these are about, so I'm just going to hit play and, and hope it's not someone calling the wrong number. All right, here we go.
0: Hello, uh, Mark and Matt. This is uh, Craig over here in uh, Springfield, Ohio. I have uh, two questions for you. Uh, the first one is uh, in regards to um, feed rate, or uh, when it comes to uh, like joinery applications. I was recently on the Festool website. Uh, well, maybe it was my manual. I can't remember which. But at any rate, one of the things that they mentioned for loose dominoes or too tight-fitting dominoes was the feed rate of the of the plunge mechanism. In other words, they they indicated that the the faster that you uh, you you plunge the domino in to create the mortise, the uh, tighter or looser. I can't remember which. The 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 domino would fit. Um, my question is, can you explain this uh, phenomena? Why why it is why the feed rate can can dictate the uh, the, the thickness of the, the mortise? Uh, and also, would this uh, same thing, the same uh, principle, apply to uh, other types of uh, joinery applications? For example, uh, cope and stick bits on a router table. Can the feed rate uh, affect the uh, tightness of the of the fit? Uh, I was wondering if you could explain that a little bit more. I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around the idea of feed rate possibly affecting uh, the size of a mortise. And the second thing is uh, I'm getting these little uh, C marks, um, like, like uh, three-quarter circle marks when I sand. Uh, I'm using a, a festool sander, and I, I know about reducing the vacuum level, and I, I've done that. And I'm, I'm, I'm not putting any pressure. I'm just kind of using the, the weight of the uh, sander. But I seem to get these C marks. And most often it's on the edges of, uh, of a board. Say, for example, I'm doing uh, like a rail and a style, uh, like a, a two-inch thick piece of wood or whatever. On, on the ends, I seem to get these, these uh, C marks. And there's like 20 or 30 of them, it seems like, on, on each side of the board. They're never in the middle. And uh, I have no idea what's causing this. Wondering if you've ever heard of it and what I'm doing wrong. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate all your work. Um, keep it up. Thanks.
3: Okay. Uh, not sure if you caught all that, Matt. Um, did you catch any of it? No. <laughs> okay. Let me recap for you. He has. It was very long. Sorry. Uh, he has a question about the domino and whether pressure feeding and, and feed rate affects the, uh, the, the actual size of the slot, or so he was told that is the case. And also he had a question about sanding and he's getting like the little um, C-shaped scallop marks at the uh, ends of his board. Not so much in the middle, but at the ends. Uh, So he's looking for solutions to that. So uh, I will tackle the domino thing real quick. He was told by... I guess some employees at Woodcraft that uh, the slower you go, and he doesn't know which, either the slower you go, the looser the fit is going to be, or the faster you go, the the uh, whatever you know, one or the one way or the other. Right. Now, the, the thing is, if you think about it, the slower you go, and and he also asked about does this, this apply to uh, router tables and things like that, uh, doing like cope and stick joinery, you know, for me, the slower I go, typically the more thorough the blade or the bit is going to be at cleaning out. All the material it has access to. If you go right. faster, you have a chance of zipping by, only getting a few revolutions uh, as you push it through, and not, you know, possibly not removing as much material, and thereby ending up with a tighter fit. Um, you know, but the thing is with the domino, if you plunge too fast, you could very well knock the. Uh, the whole unit, and you know, because it's like a biscuit joiner, in the way that it hooks on to uh, a piece of uh, material. So if you push too fast, it might walk a little bit on you. So technically, in that case, if you push fast, you could wind up with a wider slot. The bottom line is, don't push fast. You know, I, I don't know why you would want to. Just go nice and slow. Let the bit clear out the hole completely, and your domino should fit perfectly. So regardless of whether it goes faster or slower, don't go fast. Go slow, and you should wind up with a good fit. Um, and it really just comes down to one of two things, depending on which one they were giving him advice. And I guess you know whose hands it's in. Uh, if you push fast, you could have it walk on you and make a bigger slot. Or if you're pushing really slow, you're giving that bit a little bit more time uh, to clear out, and possibly even you know the vibration itself could cause it to uh, take a little bit more material out. Either. So technically, it can go either way. It just depends on on who's operating the machine. Right, you know, and that sounds. I mean, that's a that's a good response for
1: just about any piece of equipment. You know, Mm -hmm. you have a nice moderate speed. You know, you're going to get better results from it for all the the reasons that you listed. I mean, with with a biscuit joiner, I mean, if you if you're pushing that blade in, if you go super fast, that could really wear on the machine, wear on the blade, and sure, it's not going to give you a decent cut when it comes down to it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I wouldn't even worry about what happens
3: because you shouldn't be doing it anyway.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you want to go speedy, like I just like to get things done. So I'm like, zoop, 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 eh, that's close enough. We'll go. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. okay, so the <laughs> his,
3: his other question was about sanding. Now he's getting scallop marks on the outside of his uh, uh, when he's using his random orbit sander. And he is using a Festool. Now, I don't recall if he said he's using the Rotex, but the Rotex can be pretty aggressive. And it's also back heavy. If you think about the shape of that handle, so oh, yeah. yeah. So if you're um, you know doing a narrow, relatively narrow board, you may think you're resting that nice and even and flat. When in reality, you might be tipping it one way or the other. And during you know when during these sanding processes, the edges are really the hardest part to sand. Because what happens when you sand an edge? Well, you start to get some of your sandpaper that's unsupported as it overhangs the piece. So that's where you're most likely going to see things like these little uh, uneven uh, sanding marks. So, I mean, really the best advice is you have to try to balance the, the sander as good as you can. The other thing is, it's most critical on that first well it's critical on every step but if you if you make the scallop marks on the first step and then you don't sand thoroughly enough throughout the rest of the process you'll even though you may be doing it properly from there on out you may still have those marks left because you you haven't been able to sand them out thoroughly enough so do not move on to the next grit if you still see those marks on the surface but um, honestly, my best advice is it's all coming down to balance. You know, you have to be careful about where it's tipping and making sure that the weight is nice and even across the surface. And also right, yeah. um, not to make sure it's not in Rotex mode when you're trying to get rid of those marks.
1: Ooh, the Rotex mode. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Rotex
3: yeah. mode. You know, that's that's
1: another. Again, you can translate this to other pieces of machinery. I mean, how many times when you're working with a router, you're using an edge bit, uh, an edge bit to put a nice profile in on something, and you can easily, if you're not careful, tip that router, and you're going to have the 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 cutter go right into the edge and thus mar a little bit there. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a balancing act.
3: Yeah, and that's now if is. you know, let's say let's say he's making the the swirly marks after. Uh, each grit and each grit erases the old swirl marks and puts new ones, but they're smaller and then he gets to 180 and he's putting in even finer swirl marks, but they're still there. If he's sanding thoroughly, um that's probably what will happen. So then on that last coat, that's when you need to do a hand sanding and it's always a good idea to do that at the end. Uh, take your final grit with whatever you left off with the random orbit sander, get a block of wood, and do some sanding by hand. That not only flattens the surface a little bit better, and it puts the uh, scratches in the direction of the grain so that they're completely invisible uh, and you won't be able to see them. So that might help alleviate the problem he's having as well.
1: Definitely. And you know, another piece of advice maybe because I have this problem because, again, I'm speedy. I want to get the hell done with the job. With the job. I want to talk fast, too, um, is to take, like, a, a tack rag and make sure I clean up, you know, what what's left after that because the grits that you just put, used, the, the larger ones, you could have little remnants, you know, all over the place, and that could really screw you up big time, you know, going with a, a, a coarser grit than going into, you know, a finer one as you're going. You know, there could be little remnants from that coarser one. and Yeah. Uh, that could screw with you, too.
3: Good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the grit from the, the uh, yeah, more Yeah, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I should have let you answer first. Sorry about that, but you didn't hear the <laughs> question. so That's right. I'm like, go ahead. What was that again? <laughs> okay. Uh, here's another uh, a voicemail. This one's from our, our good friend Roberto, and you're not going to hear this one either, so I'll repeat it when it's done. Okay.
0: Hey, guys. What's up? It's Roberto. How are you guys doing? I wanted to know if you guys knew how to... Purposely distress wood, uh, things like saw marks. Um, I'm trying to put together a table and I want that weathered, not so well, I shouldn't say weathered, more dis- distressed look with saw marks. Um, besides the obvious, running it through a bandsaw and not sanding it too much, are there any other techniques that you guys know of?
3: Thanks. Okay, Roberto wants to know if we have techniques for distressing, getting that distressed look uh in furniture and the the thing that i do with distressing wood usually i take the piece of furniture i put it on the the ground in the shop and i start yelling at it for hours that's what my technique is (laughs) and i'm like you call yourself a piece of furniture look at you you are nothing and uh after a while it starts to look pretty distressed yeah i always use the look at your brother He's still standing. He
1: hasn't had any knots in him whatsoever, and 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 look what he's made of himself. So,
3: yeah. I mean, mean, have you ever done this before? (laughs)
1: uh, My distressing technique is actually my wife, and she's the one that she has no problem whatsoever coming in with anything and everything she get her hands on. Uh, She usually ends up taking um, a lot of my uh, like uh, screwdrivers. Um, She'll take uh, alls. And she'll, she'll – so like if she really wants to make it very aged, like this thing has been dropped out of a car and she'll come in there and do this. But um, I know there, there are certain ways that you can really kind of the, – the way you sand it and something like that, if you want to have like different layers of, of color in there, you can actually maybe like hit it with, you know, odd spots of sandpaper or something like that because we all know that when you – depending on what grit you stop at can also determine – how the color is going to lay out on that. So mm-hmm. you could essentially kind of come in with like, you know, like an 80 grit, Just, you know, hit that one area. And then that will definitely take a different staining technique than the other one. Other than that, then you, you start getting more into like really literally the art of finishing where you come in and kind of like an artist kind of brush and, and try and, you know, embellish it from there. But yeah. Other than that, yeah, my, my wife and my verbal abuse are my only <laughs> ways of distressing. Me.
3: <laughs> yeah, I've um I've done a number of different techniques uh for the maybe three or four projects that I've done that had to be distressed. And uh, the thing is, I've seen different types of distressing. You know, there there's different styles, and they're not all done the same way. Um, the most basic to me is literally any metal implements that you have, whether it's chains, hammers, um, you know, scratchalls. Uh, uh, Nail set, you know anything that you have that you could poke these little holes in, or scra- you know scrape it, scratch it with a screwdriver. It depends on the theme of of distressing that's in that piece that you're going for. Um, but he was talking about like saw marks and things like that. You know, keeping the stuff right off of the saw, even right off the table saw, can leave those circular saw marks. You know, he mentioned the band saw, which is also a good option. Um, right. But you know, sometimes it's it can be. You would think it would be super easy. But a lot of times it's really tricky to get that look out of a piece. But literally, it's as manual of a process as it can possibly be. If you see a dent that you want to look a certain way, then you got to figure out a way to make that dent. And uh, I, I don't really know of any, uh, you know, secrets or, or tricks. But it literally is by banging things into the wood. Yep. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think of who it was. I don't remember
1: if it was, if it was Jeff Miller in Chicago. If there was, where was it? There was, there was somebody that was doing a finishing class. And uh, they were talking about that, like you know, when it comes to the distressing, that's a completely different art. It's almost like the guys that work on a sound stage and come up with all those noises. You know, you think, oh yeah, it's just uh, somebody walking down the hall. No, it's actually you know, like a couple of pots and pans being walked on, you know, a vinyl or something. (laughs) Right. all these odd ways of just you know doing that, just beating the living daylights out of things. My wife, she, she does a fantastic job. Those, the last time she did one, it looked like she was reenacting a scene out of West Side Story when they were fighting. <laughs> it was really ugly.
3: <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, all right. Well, you know what? We're going to close out with a, with a tip from our good buddy Tom, and then we can go into some chat room questions if there's anybody left there, if we didn't scare them all away. Yeah. Um, all right. So I don't know what Tom's tip is going to be. Let's hope he, uh, he didn't, uh, learn any new cuss words this week.
1: Okay. Let's go.
0: <laughs> Hello everyone. It's Tom Ayavino from Tom's workbench and it's time for another one of Tom's tips. Yay. Are you building a jig that you will use for glue ups, but don't want glue to stick to it? Oh, sure. You could coat the jig in wax or brush on some polyurethane to keep the glue from sticking. But have you tried instant glue repellent on a roll? Common clear packing tape just sheds dry dry glue and keeps your jigs clean for the next use. The best part? No drying time. Just apply and go. Talk about convenience. If you want to discover more clever, useful, or even somewhat coherent tips, check out my blog at tomsworkbench.com or visit any of the other great blogs that belong to the Wood Whisperer Network at twwnetwork.com.
3: Tom's workbench.com. We should play that every time he he does he does his little thing
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get that on, on our recording and we'll just hit the button every single time.
3: <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that's a good tip. I do that and I love clear packing tape and it uh, comes in real handy. That's an awesome tip, Tom. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much, Tom. So you got time for a few questions from the chat room, Matt?
1: I think I could probably hang out for a little bit, you know, and cool, uh, cool. We, before we go to the chat room, though, we should probably remind everybody of how they can get a hold of us just in case they heard something today and uh, want to dispute it or, uh, you know, tell us how great we are. Maybe they want to get a hold of us for, like, Christmas items. Hmm. I am readily accepting all cash donations, candy, and <laughs> other things, too. Of course. Why not? <laughs> exactly. So it is a the season
3: of, of giving, so, you know. That's
1: right. <laughs> I'm not giving. You should be giving to me, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I'll give thanks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so. Get a hold of us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or pick up that phone. Call us at 623-242-2450. And, of course, like we'll have this in the show notes and stuff and all that good stuff. So let's bring
3: on the chat room. Bring it on. All right. Nicole is uh, all mic'd up so you guys can hear her sultry Midwestern voice.
2: Another option is for them to come to the live show. Who can? And, uh, viewers and submit a question.
3: Oh, yeah. That's right. We're doing this live. It seems yeah. like almost every time now. So if you have a question... Save it and uh, and come to the live uh, the live uh, evening uh, discussion that we have. Now the problem is I got to get better at um, putting it on the calendar yeah, and giving more than three hours notice. But um, okay, so we we do have this technical glitch here where it's hard for Matt to hear some of these questions. So Nicole will give us the question and I will try to relay it as best I can to Matt.
2: Oh, so he can't hear me?
3: No. Oh. Uh, he can hear you through my mic, but okay. that's about as so far have as to it goes. speak very loud. Just speak. All right. Oh, I can hear her fine. She, okay, she's so good Okay, so the now. first
2: question is from Wood Zealot, and he has a question that he's had for a while, and he wants to know, does woodworking with hardener denser hardwoods, specifically dull blades, and bits faster than other hardwoods, and how expensive quality bits and blades... Um You're losing me. Well, there's no punctuation and I'm having a hard time.
3: So he wants to know he wants to know he's using uh high quality dense hard wood and wants to know how bad that is on his bits and blades. Yes. Will it dull them? And and it do does it make a difference if he's using higher quality materials or higher quality. Yeah, he just wants to know if he,
2: he needs to avoid certain species of wood. To okay. avoid the expensive
3: No. I would say, personally, never avoid a certain species of wood because that really is what makes the project what it is. Uh, I believe in, in dealing with the repercussions of, of dealing with uh, very hard and dense woods. Uh, but right. yes, of course, you know, things like babinga, wangi, um, hickory, uh, just to name a few, are, are just some really dense, nasty hardwoods that splinter and really will wear those bits down. Um i i don't i don't i don't know if i've answered his question actually
2: no uh, i'm sure you haven't uh,
3: probably but. not matt what do you what do you say <laughs> would would you uh would you avoid a wood just to save on the wear and tear
1: um I, I want to say no, I wouldn't, but the thought has crossed my mind before. Like I, I've used ash before, and that one can be a real bear if you don't have that, you know, ha- have your tools nice and sharp. A great example of this, and we're going to go back to woodworking in America again. Is you know, uh, Phil from uh, Philsville and Philly Plains. Yep. Uh, on his blog, he's been showing this uh, new uh, miter plane that he has, and he brought it with him to the show. And this thing is like made out of like it's like African blackwood or something like that. It's this really, really. Heavy, dense, just nasty material, and he was telling all of us that basically this thing he could take two passes with a hand plane, and then he'd have to resharpen it because mm. this thing was so dense it just ate up his tools. And even with his power tools, it really did a number on the blades. Wow! So that's what I would for sure absolutely avoid. Sure.
3: Well, if you can have a reasonable substitute, why not avoid it? You know. But if you're right. going for a target look, you may you may have no choice. Okay, girlfriend, hit us with another one, yo.
2: Um, another question from Woodsolid. He says he wants to know from Matt. um... Is
3: there anyone else in the chat room yeah, other there's than Woodsolid? Like,
2: I have more <laughs> okay. questions, but I just I want to get through. I'm just all getting the nervous.
3: <laughs> Go ahead.
2: Okay, he says uh, Matt with a smooth plane, super tune to fi- to a fine shaving. Do you still? Sand prior to finishing. See, this is the problem with me. No, really you're understanding you what the hell I'm asking.
1: You <laughs> you're good. You're good. Did you catch that, Matt? <laughs> yeah. So if if I've got a, uh, a fine shaving on my my smoother plane, do I go to go to sandpaper? Mm-hmm. And the question, or the question? Well, I know what the question is. The answer is actually, it depends. Um, the majority of the time, I actually do come back and, and kind of clean it up. And, and Chris Schwartz actually talked about this again at Woodworking in America. I believe they call it uh, going English. And essentially the idea is that you take your hand planes as far as you can in the in the smoothing process going up to the finish. And then basically, if it's going to be something that's really going to be seen, if it's something that you want to make sure that it's, there's no imperfections on it, you just come back with like some 220, just kind of touch everything up, and, and you're all set. Because really – if you've used your uh, your, your hand planes, if you got it for that very light pass, maybe you come in with a little bit of a card scraper to clean up any little tricky grain or anything. You guys can't see it. I'm doing my little hand gestures right now. <laughs> but you kind of come in, and you clean those up a little bit. And then just to tie everything in, just go over it with some 220. Boom, you're all set, and you're going to get a really beautiful finish as a result. So, yeah, by all means. The nice thing is, again, with... If you have it set that way, you only need to make one or two passes with the the sandpaper, and you're all set to go. So it eliminates all that other sanding that I hate doing.
3: Cool. Next.
2: Next is from DA, and he wants to know, he was at Lowe's looking for SYP, uh, Southern Yellow Pine. Mm -hmm. He told me that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, He found, uh, found SPF, which... He didn't know what that was. He's guessing it's Southern Pine something or other. Uh, um, what that? And then he said he found something that looks like pine called white wood. What is that exactly? Okay. Is it just pine labeled differently or actual different species of wood?
3: Now, I... I we alternate may alternate
2: have... to S-Y-P.
3: We, we th- may th- have talked about this in the past i think Matt maybe even on the show um
1: that white wood reference that sounds familiar yeah
3: and if i if i remember correctly it was sort of a generic wood that they it may not be a particular species but it's the same price range, so they could sell it for the same price each time. And they call it white wood because it's light colored, but it could be a number of species. It's whatever they can get in stock from the supplier. Does that sound right? right.
2: Someone says in the chat room that SPF is a uh, spruce pine. Spruce fir? pine fir. Is it yeah. spruce I don't know pine fir? Joking. Or-
3: <laughs> okay, I, w- I wouldn't even know. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, and then the white wood
1: it's a possibility yeah, i think you're right that it's that's just the generic term for hey look we got some wood that's really really light colored but whenever i see that the first thing i think of is aspen and i, I had a chance to work with that's aspen different. once and just once i don't want to go back to it not again it
3: was, not again it, so, it
1: cut like string cheese is what i, I remember yeah,
3: i remember you talking about that um that didn't sound like a fun experience so Over. what was his question, though? Just asking what that meant. What
2: those acronyms meant and, okay. and seeing the different variations of those types of right. labels, so with acronyms.
3: The, with the chat room's help, we kind of got it. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard. Um, I find it hard sometimes to decipher some of the things that I see in the home stores. You know, knowing even what I know about wood. I go in there sometimes and I'm like, uh, you know, some of it might be uh, specific to the building trade. Which I'm not that well versed in, you know. So sometimes I don't, I don't know all that stuff either. So don't feel bad. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I only
1: remember the the oh, SPF no. from uh, I was at a a little thing with uh, it was in, in in Grand Rapids and they talked about that. They're like, hey, "What's SPF? Is that concerned about like the um <laughs> the, the tree getting sunburned?" Yeah. No, 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 that's spruce pine fur. I'm like, oh, I the wouldn't cha- have known the, that. <laughs> the room right.
2: actually says that it's spru- spruce pine or fir. Oh, okay. And to avoid it. For anything other than framing.
3: Okay. I will avoid it for anything other than framing. <laughs> How about I just avoid <laughs> it in general yes. since I'm not going to be doing any framing anytime soon. So
2: thank you, DA, for your question. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Next. Um, I'm sure I'm going mis- to mispronounce his name. Jim? I guess it's GM. I don't know. G- it doesn't matter. <laughs> he says, wants to know your guys' opinion on pocket joinery. Hmm. And that he's been hearing different feedback.
3: And you will. Because there are varied opinions oh, yeah. on that Absolutely Tom, Doesn't
2: Tom love
3: Tom uh, Yeah I think he likes yeah. his pocket Because uh, I, I
2: remember taking pictures of him Trying to convince you to use Oh yeah
3: I told him <laughs> I said look I went to a, teach a class And uh, Tom Ivino was there Tampa Tom was there And uh, from Tom's Workbench Dot com So he, um, he I was actually teaching him uh, power carving And I was like you know what I said I've got a, a dirty little secret I've never used a pocket hole jig before. and What? Yeah, and he was like, oh, my God. He's like, get over here. I'm going to teach you something. So he sat me down and showed me how to make a little frame with the the pocket. I mean, I understood the concept. I've just never actually done it before. So um, he's a fan of of the pocket holes. It would
2: be funny to to put links to the pictures that we took.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Of me and Tom working together.
2: It's like the series of, of shots of Mark, like, Doing it uh, using the pocket hole, and then you're like, you're hitting and then my, it, yeah, and it my, falls my apart, and testing
3: then... the strength by, by slamming it into the concrete floor. Oh, that was fun. Uh, but yeah, pocket holes are, you know, it, it really just depends on the woodworker. There's no denying two things they're strong and they're fast. You know, it's just a matter of you deciding what type of work you want to produce. If you, if you want to do something that's a little higher quality. Um, you know, something that you'll never be able to see the joinery involved, then you might want to do a mortise and tenon instead. But I don't think that there's anything to be ashamed of uh, if you want to use uh, pocket screws to to get something done quickly.
1: Right. You know, and actually, I just used some the other day um, on on a project. I like to use them where they're hidden, like very well hidden, so mm-hmm. people don't have any clue that I used them. But yeah, they're, they're definitely. Uh, I, I like other joinery. Uh, but in, in a pinch, if I really just kind of want to hide something, yeah, it works pretty great. Uh, I don't know if I've actually done the the, the slam test, though. I've <laughs> thought about doing an ant just for the fun of it. <laughs> there you go.
3: Yeah, actually, and it's, it's a quick way to build. There are times that I've used it because it was really the only thing that would work very well. Um, I've got a project coming out with Fine Woodworking, uh, one of those collaboration projects that I do once in a while. And it's a very simple, small, uh, can-do sort of project entertainment center. And I had to put a little frame at the bottom. It's just a square plywood frame that uh, holds the piece up a couple inches off the ground. I couldn't figure out any other way to attach that thing to the bottom of this entertainment center. And I'm like, you know what? On the inside of the frame, there is no reason, since it's going to be on carpeting, and it's only lifting this thing up a couple inches off the ground. Why can't I use pocket screws? And it was just the perfect surface application and worked really well. So uh, there, there are times when it's a good tool to have in the shop, even if you don't use it as a primary joinery method.
1: Right. and yeah, Exactly. I've used mine kind of just as to help me as an extra hand to get all the joinery in place. If it's like one of those, I'm not going to be able to glue this up or I can't get yeah. some you know, calls here or something like that. Oh, pocket
3: hole. Oh, that's good. Let's go with that. Totally. All right. What's next?
2: Derek wants to know: Is there any rough size that? Oh God, I am terrible reading. It's okay. It's We're patient. We're patient. Is there We're any rough size that. of any given board that one should begin to consider expansion issues?
3: Uh, I mm-hmm. I start to really. I mean, it's going to depend from wood to wood. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And you could look at uh, uh, what is it, a shrinkulator? Is yes. that, that calculator we always talk about—the shrinkulator—it um, right, has it, nothing to do with pools and cold water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I generally refer to the ocean as the shrinkulator. Um, there, for the most part, it, it, you know, obviously, the smaller you get, the more movement is an issue, and and small boxes is really the place where you break all of those rules, uh, because one of two things can happen: either it's not going to expand enough to convince it a frame, for instance, that it wants to blow out, uh, or You know, you sort of just can, you know, convince it it doesn't want to move at all. You could lock it down, but it's not enough force to really cause any problems in the the, at least in the short term. So um, I really start to get concerned with anything over four inches in width. I would, I mean, I'm just throwing a number out there, but the things that I start going, okay, now I really need to be uh, seriously concerned about where this is going. Um, Four or more, maybe even three. What, what would you yeah. say? What's your gut?
1: I, I'm with you there. Anywhere from like about... I'm actually a little bit more liberal on that. I'll go up to like six inches. Six inches, I'm like guaranteeing there's going to be... You know something that I really need to take into consideration there but again it, you're right it has everything to do with the wood it has every, especially with the uh, the grain pattern I mean it's the reason why you mm-hmm. prefer quarter socks you can really control it you can you, sure. know, y- you know know what it's going to do but yeah that, that four to six I think that, that is a that's a great range for really mm-hmm. thinking you know starting to think about it anything above that yeah definitely I, I'm concerned about it yeah,
3: and anticipating the humidity change that it might experience is a big deal too
1: Right, yeah, so if I built you something here in the midst of my uh, summer and then I brought it to
3: you, we um, might have an issue. Maybe, a little one. All right, what's right. next, homegirl?
2: Um, Fancy pants? I, have, I think I have one more. Oh, somebody sent it to Matt.
3: Um, He's not available. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm out right now. If they want to leave <laughs> me a message.
2: Uh, oh, have you built legs for furniture using... Can't pronounce this word. Would, yeah.
3: Spell it. Take it one letter at a time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Quadrilinear legs.
3: Quadrilinear. Yeah. Quadrilinear. I know what That's I know how to say it, but I don't know what that means in terms of furniture. Do you know what that yeah. means,
1: Matt? Uh, see, quad is four. Linear is straight. Um, no, well, that I, describes I guess...
3: just about every leg I've ever made. Have you built that's what I was just thinking. of. like, I made some for a coffee table the other day. There was four sides, four sides, and it was relatively <laughs> straight, quadrilinear. Um, honestly, <laughs> if so, I don't. Any tips? I don't right. really know what that is. Maybe I could look it up real quick. Do we have another question while I'm looking that up?
2: Absolutely not. That's it. That is all of
3: them. We had almost like fifty did... people watching, and that's it. I see somebody has in there, does anyone have the phone number for a good,
1: reliable fire extinguisher company? (laughs) That's from Charger 1966. Uh, Somebody, I think it's called 911. You might want to call that and find out what's going on.
3: (laughs) Nice. Uh, Yes, and please, make sure you have uh, uh, fire extinguishers in your shop at all times. Let's see.
1: uh, Somebody, Slippery Pete's saying, apparently, I'm I'm assuming this is towards the quadrilinear legs. He's saying it's building each side of a leg out of a trapezoid. What in the hell? What are you guys trying yeah. to do over there? <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm like more shaker style craftsmen, you know, that type of thing. You start getting into that modern stuff and
3: I'm like, what is that? It's scaring me. <laughs> is it like the method that they would use to keep a quarter sawn face on all sides of the leg for, you know, like mission style stuff or stickly stuff? So you always huh? have the, the ray fleck on all the sides. Is that, is that, am I even in the ballpark? <laughs> I wonder, yeah maybe that's what it is yeah like where you, you you take it and you almost kind of like
1: you always like that, that magic square where they're like I'm gonna use the square to try and decide which one it is yeah and then and, and deliberately cut it so that like maybe it's a diamond out of the square yes to get the actual yeah that's I have never done that I've always wanted to but um I'm too lazy and so it's <laughs> a lot just, of work right I'll stand in the in the in the pile at the wood store looking for the specific ones that I want to avoid doing that because uh, there's that part of me I want to say I'm an environmentalist I don't want to waste all the wood but it's it's pure laziness if anybody's seen my latest videos I am a lazy man and uh,
3: <laughs> you know I have in some cases and this goes back to worrying about wood movement that we talked about before on skinny enough legs that don't have you know too much width to worry about I've actually taken the two. Uh side, you know, keep the face pieces. Obviously if you glue up a leg, two two sides are automatically gonna have your attractive uh uh grain pattern, especially if you're looking at quarter sawn wood and two are not. So the other two I've cut uh little tiny slices of veneer, maybe about eighth inch uh thick slices of veneer and glued those to the outside of the legs. It's kind of the cheesy, cheaper way of doing that instead of making a leg the way we were just discussing but it it can work if the leg is small enough Um, let's just hope we got the quadrilinear thing correct I don't know if we did there's dogs squeezing chew toys if you guys can hear that sorry
1: (laughs) you know that's really kind of funny talking about like you know using like like the veneer or something to to kind of hide something like that because again going back to the Woodworking in America conference I have a lot of references to that I was going to say it
3: sounds like some things happened there
1: well, it was funny because Frank Klaus, <laughs> I took his advanced dovetailing class, and one of the ones that he talked about was the, the hidden mitered dovetail. And basically, he's like one of those I don't know why people are so, you know, enthralled with this because really you could just miter it, put it together, and then tell people there's a dovetail in there. It's the easiest of them all to do, is what <laughs> right. it comes down to.
3: <laughs> That's funny. Well, I would just dowel it and, you know, tell them it's reinforced, and they'll be like, oh, wow. All right. We oh, have another. Reinforce with <laughs> yep. I
2: got I got
3: three more now. Three more? Oh, my goodness gracious. Ooh.
2: So one like is them. using shellac or poly on a tabletop, which should, is better.
3: On a tabletop? That's what he said. I Thank you. I would say poly, hands down. Would you ever put shellac on a tabletop that you plan to use a lot? No, not on one I'm planning to use. One that's just purely for show in a corner, nobody's going to touch
1: it. I'll use it there. But one that I'm going to use a lot, definitely poly for so many different reasons, yeah. especially having to do Polly drinks.
3: Yes, yes. Alcohol is not a good thing. And I mean, you know, Schlank's a good finish, but uh, for something that really needs to, like a coffee table or a dining room table, um, Polly, I would say, is definitely going to be the way to go. Next.
2: And Charger wants to know he's in the market for a new rip fa- fence for his Grizzly Hybrid. Any suggestions for a good, but not really expensive fence system?
3: Hmm. Have you been, uh, have you looked at the fence, uh, aftermarket fence systems lately, Matt?
1: Ever since I got my that's I've always been with that one. Other than that, I can't think of any of the other ones out there that have really caught my eye that I've even thought about replacing it.
3: I can tell you that when I had my Craftsman contractors years ago and and had a problem with that aluminum um, uh, rail that just was a piece of duty, um, (laughs) I used to have a real hard time locking that thing down. So I wanted to upgrade to something that was more... Biesemeyer style uh, T square kind of fence, and I couldn't really afford the the like a full you know full deal. Uh, so the closest I could find that was relatively recent, uh, reasonably priced was the one made by Vega V E G A, and hey, yeah, and that was actually a good little uh, solid fence. I really thought that was a good unit. So that one. It's, you know, it's not cheap, but it's certainly not the most expensive one out there. Uh, but if if you can afford it, jump up to the Biesemeyer. I mean, that's um, that's really the standard by which most other fences are judged to begin with.
1: Yes, and judged mightily they are. Yeah, you can get like <laughs> those those Incras. You know, I think they have one for the table saw that just, you know, that that thing's just insane. It has so many bells and whistles and slots and everything else yeah, on I there. Yeah, I had you that. Just do it. Yeah, that's just, to me, it's almost intimidating. It's hated like, it, it. I think... Yeah, I'd be really. Cause that, that's what I'd be staring at it, going, well, "What am I going to do
3: in there?" Or I'd be afraid I'm going to get caught in it or something. I don't know. It just. Yeah, I wasn't. I just wasn't a fan of that the Incra, But many, 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 many people are. Uh, but for me, I like strong, basic, super durable, and something that's going to lock down like a rock. So, uh Biese-Meier is pretty good, and cheaper is the Vega.
2: So I have two final questions. One Dos. for Mark. One for Matt. Nice. Um, this question's for Mark. And it comes from Lorna, and she wants to know if you're watching her cats properly.
3: <sighs> she finds me wherever I go.
2: <laughs> Actually, no. She's not in the room. That's it's just me asking.
3: <laughs> that's a funny joke. Yeah, that's my, my mom's name is Lorna, and she's away right now. And, uh, she's and I, supposed I'm supposed to be watching. I've been charged with going over and cleaning up after the cat that likes to pee and crap on the floor instead of in its box. And that's why I continue to hold the opinion that cats are vermin. That need to be removed from the planet.
2: Oh, you're mean. Well, well, cats you know, are mean. you're
3: terrible. i we, we
1: we have a cat, and and I I enjoy him, except for when he's just gotten out of his little uh, box, and then he comes over and slaps me in the face. And, you are know, like <laughs> I love you. I love. Him. God damn it! But uh yeah, it's. I think there is a, there's an international plot because you know they have that little disease that they can carry around. That's why pregnant women can't change the litter box. And I've oh, heard yeah, that's right. that, yep. that that uh, that actually. Um, that, that particular little bug can get in you and it makes you more sympathetic to the cat, so it makes you want to do more for the cat Wow and I'm fighting it. I am definitely giving Hamlet a it's, run for his money.
3: It's a conspiracy and you know and the thing is i I got this little notice uh, in, in an email forward last week from Nicole, so you know it had to be true. Um, that there is actually a conspiracy and plot that cats are really just trying to take over the world, and they're constantly trying to kill you. What was that? And what was and like? they and the one biggest piece of evidence they said is that the cats, you know, when they get on on your stomach and they need you and they like push in and out with their little paws, and you know mm-hmm. most humans are like, oh, that's so cute. What they're actually doing is feeling your internal organs for weaknesses. <laughs> I
1: believe it because mine does that all the time. You knock it off, go do it to somebody else. Aiden's open.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many signs that they're trying to take over the world. So, honestly, disease vermin, they need to get out of here. Okay, that was, that was my question. That was your question. Great. And then
2: Matt's question is. Um, is do you have any feedback on the hand-playing restoration class? You know, the one you skipped out on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you
3: skipped class, Matt? Would you go out and smoke cigarettes in the back of the building or what? <laughs> yeah, I was
1: wearing my leather jacket. I'm like, I so don't need this class. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, I, I took mighty advantage of my, my press pass, and I was all over the place checking out different classes and everything. In fact, when I was supposed to be on that one, I ended up heading over to... Uh, a, a class on understanding sharpening media with Ron Hawk and, and Joel Moskowitz, which was okay, but I probably should have stuck the, uh, stayed in the the rehabbing one. You know, I'm gonna have to get a hold of a couple of people because I, I heard quite a bit that um, from a couple of uh, people that were there that, that that one was was really decent and got a lot of information out of it. So I'll have to get back on that one um, because like I said that that was one of those I like, got done with it. And I'm like, oh man. I should have gone to that. But it, it sounded like a lot of it is kind of like what we've talked about before just cleaning up the rust and the, the basic things to look for on, on, on the bodies, you know, so you know which one to get, which one not to get, and, and kind of go from there. Use molasses to remove your rust. And, <laughs> yeah, we got reports back on that too, and it's working for people. Yeah, that's great. You know, and like I said, my my problem is if I would just quit eating the molasses, (laughs) we could probably (laughs) get a lot more rust
3: out of my shop. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, Is that it, hon? We're done? All right. Well, we want to thank everybody for uh, hanging out in the chat room. We had a nice crowd there today. We appreciate it. And we had a lot of fun. And we will, uh, I think this is going well, huh, Matt? I think we'll have to continue doing this in the future.
1: Yeah, definitely. I am all for this. I definitely enjoy this one, and it's 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 really kind of fun feeling these questions. Even though a lot of times I'm like, "Oh crap, is that one for me?" <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it is kind of fun. It's a little bit of a challenge, a little bit scary, but that's what makes it so uh, so interesting. So definitely. we want to wish everybody a, a happy uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving if you are celebrating that holiday, and uh, you know, have a safe vacation. Most people get a few extra days off, and uh, just watch your fingers and your toes and all that other stuff that that uh, you might cut off.
1: That's right. Definitely don't try to uh, reenact the sauce stop that you'll see on YouTube, unless maybe you have a saw stop and you don't mind doing it. If you don't, definitely don't give
3: it a shot because it yeah. probably won't try well yeah that would not be the way to test your saw to see if you have saw stop. just be like i don't know if i do let me check so, right <laughs> yeah and if, if you suddenly do get that urge double
1: check to make sure it's not your cat staring at you going you want to put your hand on that saw <laughs>
3: exactly that's probably what it is oh this is vermin okay have a great week everybody have a great holiday and we will catch you next time that's right everybody take care